if you track this whole series with us, there are going to be some things that you um, believe that I may very well challenge. And there are going to be some things that you believe that, that, that I may very well, as we look through Scripture, validate. Here, here's what I'm going to tell you. There are a lot of people that believe a lot of different things about what heaven is going to be like. Okay? And, and there's two categories that we're going to look at when we talk heaven. There are things that are indisputable. They're indisputable because the word is so ridiculously clear. Okay? Uh, and so when we talk about, most things that we talk about in the series will be indisputable things. These are things that we just know because the Bible says so, and we have a high view of Scripture. We have a high view of the Bible, so when the Bible says it, we trust it. Okay? There are also going to be things that will be classified as disputable. Disputable things, and, and I'll let you know when we're talking about one of those things that's disputable. Disputable things are those things where, you know what, Scripture hints at but it's not as painfully clear, okay? Um, but knowing what we know of God's character and, and reading between lines, there's things that we can assume. Um, and, and, but they're disputable. And so when we talk about those things, we'll let you know, hey, look, we're talking about something that's disputable, okay? We think this is right, but I'm not exactly sure. Now, I'm going to give you um, an example of that, okay? Um, yeah, okay, I'll do this now. I'm going to give you an example of that. An example of that is babies, okay? Now, we are not going to read definitively in Scripture that when our infants die, when there's SIDS or when there's miscarriages or when there's tragedies like that, we're not going to read in Scripture, you're not going to find it in here, that there is this mystical thing called an age of accountability where any child that dies prior to that age, well, they will automatically be with us in heaven, Okay? In fact, theologically, we read that as human beings, we're born in sin, okay? But based on some scriptures, specifically David's conversation with the prophet um, Nathan about his son born in sin to Bathsheba and that whole, that whole thing and all of the other uh, things that we know about God's character, we infer, and so it's disputable, but I would argue, and I think we can back it up scripturally, but I can never say, well, that's indisputable, that our children that die prior to um, an age of, of reckoning or accountability will be with us in heaven. And I take comfort in that. And I, I, I will gladly give comfort in that when having conversation uh, with bereaved parents. Okay? I can't point to the text. If someone were to challenge me on that and say, Matt, show me the text that says age of accountability, I'm going to say, I, I can't. I get that it's disputable, but I think everything we know about God's character and, and some verses in Scripture that make sense, I can tell you that this is true. And so when we get to those disputable things, I'll, I'll tell you that's what we're talking about. Otherwise, what we're going to be talking about are things that are indisputable, that Scripture is clear on. And our call is to believe what the Word of God tells us, okay? So if you've got questions about that, you can let me know. And I'm going to go ahead and invite you now before I forget. If you've got any questions... Things that pop up, questions that linger after we're done uh, with our sermon today or any week during this series, okay, or anything that you're wondering right now about the afterlife, about heaven, maybe even about hell, there's a question box out there on the main table with some slips of paper by it. You could also write them on your tear-off sheet if you wanted to, but you can jot down your question and you can throw it in that box. And what we'll try to do is make sure that throughout this series that we answer those questions, and here's how I'll invite you to. 
if, if it's not a question we're going to answer in a sermon, um, Vince and I will be doing, uh, throughout this series at least, we'll be doing a podcast, and we'll post that on our Facebook page, to answer some of those other questions that we can't get to um, in, in our sermon series. So we don't want any of your questions to go unanswered, and so we've given you a couple of different avenues to ask those questions. Uh, all of that will be available on Facebook, on the website, um, or you can just talk to us, uh, and we'll make sure we, we answer what we need to, okay? But... Heaven is confusing, okay? Heaven is confusing because uh, of a few different reasons. One is there are a lot of experts out there about heaven. Um, they'll tell you lots of different things, things that are just true. They'll tell you they're true, and they'll speak with authority, and that just is what it is, okay? Uh, if you talk to my mother-in-law, with authority, reincarnation is a thing. Great big balls of energy are a thing, Okay? And so she's got a whole theory of the afterlife. If you, talk to, um, if you talk to other people that you know and respect, college professors maybe, there's nothing. You die and then that's it. There's just nothing. You cease to be. Okay? Um, there, are, there are others like Islam that would be kind of like the video you saw that what happens is a good angel, or not a good, I'm sorry, there's two angels um, that are with you throughout your life and they record your deeds, your good deeds and your bad deeds. And at the end of your life, your good deeds go on this side of the scale and your bad deeds go on this side of the scale. And whichever side wins out, that's uh, the direction you head, okay? Uh, there are lots of different views about heaven. And so it gets confusing. And then there's TV shows like, like the clip we just saw um, that will have their own things that they, they don't teach as truth, but the more we watch them, the more they just kind of become ingrained and we start to think that's the way that it goes. And then we hear from well-meaning pastors like me, and I think I've even said this before when I wasn't as smart as I am now. By the way, I am smarter than I used to be. And there will be a point in time where I'm smarter still. So if you're like, man, I wish that guy would hurry up, stick with me, right? We're getting there. But we hear from well-meaning pastors, you know what? Don't worry about heaven. Heaven is inevitable for Christians. It'll be what it'll be. Just don't worry about it. Just wait and see. Or uninformed, uninformed folks in Scripture that will say, well, the Bible doesn't really talk about heaven, so everything's just guesswork. When actually, no, the Bible talks quite a bit about heaven. Okay? And so as we jump into this series, I just want to encourage you to, to be ready to be challenged in some ways, be ready to be validated, uh, validated, okay, be ready to be validated in some ways, and, uh, and be ready to be challenged, okay? So the question is, what about heaven? What's it like? What are we going to do there? And I want to tell you this. The reason this is so hard is because of Satan. We're going to, we're going to jump right in here with both feet, and I'm going to tell you this. The reason that it's hard for us to track what heaven is going to be like is because of Satan. I need you to know this because as we're challenged, okay, as we, as we start to wrestle with what is it we believe or don't believe, um, we're going to have to deal with the fact that Satan is a liar, and that Satan wants you to hate heaven. 
Satan wants you to either not believe in heaven. Satan wants you to think that heaven is boring. Had a conversation with somebody not that long ago um, who apologetically explained to me that they were not looking forward to heaven. They were not looking forward to heaven because um, with all due, I love it when people say with all due respect, because you can almost guarantee what they're going to say next is going to like, you know, uh, you know, you know, Matt, I, I'm not really looking forward to heaven. I really like life here on earth and, and, and I don't want to go to heaven because with all due respect, heaven is going to be just one big long church service and I don't really like church services. I get it, right? I love church services. We go to ch- whenever we're out of town, we go to, we went to church last Sunday. We were on vacation. We were out of town. We, we went to church. I love church. Service. I certainly don't want to be there all day long, right? I, there's a time when I want to go eat lunch just like you do. But they're like, I don't want to. So see, Satan's job, Satan's MO, Satan is the father of lies. Look, John 8, tells us this. He has always hated the truth. He talking about Satan here because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The the King James says it this way, when he lies, he speaks his native language, because that's what he does. He lies. And look at Revelation 13, 6, again, speaking about Satan. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling place. And by the way, that's just the fancy word for heaven is the place that God lives. And so we read here that that Satan is the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. And then we read in Revelation that one of the things that he is actively lying about is heaven, the dwelling place of God. He lies about it. Because if he can get us to believe it's boring, if he can get us to believe it's not real, if he can get us to believe that the way we get there is different, if he can get us to believe that, that something else is happening. Oh, we're going to talk about ghosts here before we're done today. We're going to talk about ghosts and spirits and dear departed loved ones and grandma that flickers the lights in the house even though she's been dead for 10 years. Because if Satan can get us to believe some things that are contrary to what the word of God says, then it's a successful endeavor for him. Okay? Okay? So we have to deal with that a little bit, that we know going into this that the reason this is hard, the reason that heaven gets confusing is because Satan is the father of lies and Satan is actively at work blaspheming, talking badly, telling lies about God's dwelling place. Okay? All right. So what happens when we die? Here's why we're here today. Uh, What happens when we die? What's what's this going to be about? What's the deal with our loved ones that have already passed on? Where are they at? And so let's talk about this. And uh, before we get into Revelation 21 here, uh, those first four verses, I want to tell you that there is something to be said for timing here. Okay? So here's what I want you to understand. Track with me on this one. Where you go when you die today is not where you will spend eternity. So there's the first challenge I'll have for you. Some of you may believe this already. Some of you have may never heard this, but I want to challenge you. Where your grandma went when she passed, where your parents went when they passed, oh, heaven forbid, where your children have gone if they've passed, okay, as Christians, is not where you will be for eternity because timing matters here, okay? See, when we talk about heaven, we automatically, this is our go-to verse, and by the way, 
Um, we're going to live here next week. We're going to talk a whole lot about Revelation 21. We're going to be in Isaiah quite a bit, uh, talking about this idea of the new heaven and the new earth, because those are things God promises at the end. Those are things God promises when he puts everything under Jesus' feet. When Jesus returns and conquers, okay, then there's this grand thing that will happen um, at the end of that, okay? And here's what it says in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old earth and, I'm sorry, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Now, we're going to talk about what that means. Are they destroyed? Do they dissolve away? Or are they just reborn and reclaimed like we are when we become Christians? We'll talk about that next week a little bit, okay? But the old earth had disappeared, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. This is not hyperbole. This is not metaphor. This is an actual statement. Oh boy, I'm going to get so excited for next week. I'm going to tell you all about it now. Um, Deep breath, hands. Okay. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And that's where we're going to spend eternity in that reality. The new heaven, the new earth, God's dwelling with his people all together in this weird, uh, we can't even possibly fathom what it'll be like, but there's things we can know about it, reality. That's happening. As Christians, that's where we will live forever. And here's, I'm just going to give you this snippet. I promise you it will not be boring. We're going to talk a lot about that throughout this series, what it will be like and what we'll do and what we won't be doing and all of those different things. So stick with us and we're going to, we're going to track through that. But that's not yet. That's not what happens when we die now. What happens when we die now is different because this is something that happens. We read very clearly at the beginning um, in, in Revelation 20. That's something that happens when God puts everything under Jesus' feet. So this new heaven and new earth where we will spend eternity is a future reality that hasn't happened yet. Because right now we live in this weird in-between time, right? Where Jesus has come and he has defeated death, and he has conquered sin. But yet, it's not fully realized until Jesus returns. So we live in this in-between time where it's the kingdom now, but not fully. Okay? So what happens when we die now? Well, there's a couple of different theories, uh, and there's some things we're going to talk about. Uh, First of all, most of us, if you're like me, uh, and you grew up in, in church with, with faith-filled people, um, most of us um, have been taught this idea of, whether we know the language or not, something called soul sleep, uh, where uh, we would think that we are um, asleep. When you die, you basically sleep until this moment in time, until Jesus returns, and then you wake. So for you, it's not like you're in limbo. You don't even realize it's happened. Okay, You, you fall asleep, you die. And then you're just kind of in stasis until there's this moment where Jesus returns and now you're awake and you're with Jesus, okay? Um, Think cryo-freeze for any of you um, either alien fans, okay, or uh, Planet of the Apes, right, where you get in the cryo-freeze thing and you go to sleep so that for you, time isn't really happening and then you wake up and you thaw out and 
it's thousands of years later and you don't realize, yeah, okay, it doesn't matter. We get that from here. There are a couple of verses in, in Scripture that taken out of context will lead us to believe that that's what happens. This is the main one. There's a couple others in Psalms, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, things that say poetically, because that's what those texts are, uh, that, you know what, I will praise you with my lips because dead people don't praise. David says that when he's running for his life. He's like, I'm going to continue to praise you because, you know what, I don't know what's going to happen and dead people don't praise. Uh, or in Ecclesiastes, when, when uh, uh, Solomon makes the comment that dead men don't talk, basically. Uh, so people will point to those verses and say, see, when you die, soul sleep. Uh, but this is the main text. In context, this is the main text that people will use to say this is what happens. You, you are, you, when you die, you are just in stasis until Jesus returns. And it's this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17. We'll actually deal with this a whole lot more when we start talking about what our bodies will be like. Okay, this is the text that'll kick that off. But for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. And so people will read this text and they'll say, see, haha, that's what happens. When the Lord himself returns, when he comes down from heaven, that's when those of us who died will rise from our graves. Not before. Okay, and I would agree with you that that is this bodily resurrection that happens uh, when Jesus returns. Okay? The problem is that that's exactly what it's talking about. It's talking about bodily resurrection. Okay? And so there's something there that we learned that's different between our lives on the new heaven and the new earth and our lives in what we would call the current heaven. So when we die or our loved ones that have died that we're thinking about now but not yet the new heaven and the new earth that'll happen in Revelation 21, okay? We're not, we're not fully realized in, in a bodily, physical resurrection. That happens here, okay? Um, don't dwell on that too much. We'll, we'll get there as the series unfolds, but, but this is talking about later, and, and there's a reason we know that, and we're going to get to that. It's because Scripture is so terribly clear in multiple places. I've chosen four verses just to point this out to you. But Scripture is so terribly clear in at least four places about why when we die, we are present with the Lord immediately. Okay, so this verse here, write it down, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. And if you, you have questions about, well, wait a minute, well, how do you know that's bodily resurrection? How do you know that's different? Write it down, review it, read the context of it, and then let's talk about it later. Drop a question in the box. Uh, but let's track these four verses here. It starts with Luke 23, 42 and, and 43. We know this one. This is the Easter week verse that we read a lot. Jesus on the cross with the two, um, uh, the, the two thieves, criminals that are next to him, all three being crucified. Um, and the one says to Jesus after they've had some dialogue, the one is taunting Jesus. The other one is, is saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Okay? So, so the thief is saying, look, Jesus, I now, hanging on the cross, about to die, I believe that I'm hearing you talk and I believe other people. I'm, I'm believing that you are who you say you are. You are the son of God. You are the Messiah. And the kingdom is yours. And so he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Knowing they're both about to die because they're nailed to a cross, Jesus says this, I assure you, today 
you will be with me in paradise. Now, we're going to get to the next couple of texts, and I'm going to tell you about Greek words. Okay, because that's not, not because I'm like, hey, let's talk about Greek words because I'm fancy, but because it'll help us understand why we can be so clear that this is indisputable. But the Greek word I did not look up for you is the word today. Because no matter what language we say it in, do you know what it means? It means today. You could say, well, Jesus was speaking metaphorically. No, it doesn't fit the context. You know, Jesus was meaning something else. No, it doesn't fit the context. This dying, broken, hollow of a man says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, by grace, look, I assure you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I assure you, not conjecture, not I'll put in a good word for you, not let's wait and see what happens and hope it works out, not let's add up all your deeds on the good side and on the bad side and see how it plays out, but he says this, I assure you with certainty, you will be with me today in paradise. Okay, that word for paradise there is another word for heaven, God's dwelling place. You will be with me in God's dwelling place. You will be with me in heaven today. We keep going. Philippians 1, 21 through 24. This is Paul talking. He says, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Now, this is one of those fun things we read about when we say, hey, look, it is to your benefit to be sold out for the sake of the gospel, to risk everything for the sake of the gospel, because life is supposed to be an adventure. Men, uh, women, I'm sure this is true for you too, but men, you know as well as I do, man, when you have nothing going on in your life, when you have nothing to thrive for, nothing to strive for, nothing that excites you, you're just dead, right? Living life is supposed to be an adventure. God hardwired you that way. God put that in you, right? You know that thing in you that, that when you're little makes you want to pick up a stick and shoot things? Makes you want to climb trees and jump off trees? Or your parents are like, stop, you'll hurt yourself? You know the excitement you felt? You know, the first time they're like, hey, I got an idea. Take the keys. You run to the store for me. And you're like, okay, what store do I go to? Do I go to the close one? Or do I go to the one that's furthest away? Right? We're wired for adventure, however we get it. Okay? And so Paul, Paul's captured that. He's talking here to the church in Philippi, and he says, for me, living means living for Christ. Dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. I can live this adventure. So here's what he's saying. I don't know what's better. Should I live or should I die? Right? Should I live or should I die? I don't know what's better. I'm torn between the two desires because I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Okay? Now, there's something interesting about that text that we could gloss over if we don't know the language. And he says, it's far better, uh, or I'm sorry, he says, I long to go and be with Christ. Be with Christ. The Greek word is... Imi. You don't care uh, that the Greek word is imi, but here's what, you could, here's what you should care about. The Greek word imi, to go and be with Christ, is a present imperative. It's not a future participle. It's a present imperative. Now, anybody here that does grammar should be able to tell you that the reason that's important is because what this means, the word that Paul specifically uses there is a I am, it, it would be far better for me to presently go and be with in this immediate reality. That word there implies this contextual reality, this thing that we do to go and be with Christ. But 
he says, it's probably better that I keep on living because then I can help you. Okay? But Paul's very clear here that he longs to go and be with Jesus. That's the goal. Okay? And then there's one more here. Oh, there's two more, actually. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8 says, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Okay, Paul's putting this out there. As he, here are two realities. We are at home in our body, then we are away from the Lord. Um, for we live by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, um, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's another present imperative. So Paul's saying here that here's the deal. We live by faith, not by sight, and we know that as long as we are in the body, we are away from the Lord. He's basically saying this in terms of it's okay to risk your life. You know that grand adventure that he's been talking about? He's saying it's okay to risk your life. Why is it okay to risk your life? Because you can't lose. You can't lose when you risk your life for the sake of the gospel. Why can't you lose when you risk your life for the sake of the gospel? Because this is the way it works out. We are convinced. We live by faith, not by sight, and we're convinced. As long as I am home in the body, I'm away from the Lord. I'm alive. I'm working. I'm doing my thing here. The worst thing, the thing that I'm afraid of, hasn't happened to me yet because I haven't died. I'm still useful and I'm still working. But if they kill me because I keep preaching the gospel, then guess what? I'm away from the body, and I am actively, currently in a state of presence with the Lord. That's what Paul's saying there. And then he says, by the way, that's better. He's like, so I literally can't lose, right? If I live, hey, I keep doing God's work. If I die, I am with the Lord. I'm with Jesus, and that's good stuff. And it's an immediate exchange. Last one we see is this. Revelation 6, 9 through 10. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, by the way, this is... Uh, getting ready for Jesus' return. That's what's happening here is, is, is uh, we, we're reading in the book of Revelation um, all of the things that are happening, uh, the judgment on the earth, and, and Jesus is soon to return, um, and the fifth seal is about to be broken. There were seven of them. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, this is John, in heaven, in the present heaven. Okay, this isn't John having a dream. This is John, if we read the book of Revelation correctly, we understand that John is in heaven. Okay? He is presently in the current heaven, and he's seeing what's happening in heaven. And he sees, the lamb broke the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God. That is every Christian who's ever lived that has died because they are Christian. Did you know that there are literally hundreds, hundreds of Christians dying every week because they're Christians? And that's been happening it's been happening since the beginning. The first Christian martyr we read about in Scripture and Acts is Stephen. We see Stephen being stoned to death for proclaiming the gospel. And then it's been happening ever since then that Christians are dying because of their faith. And John says, I see their souls. And they're not sleeping souls. They're active, participating souls. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God. They shouted to the Lord. I mean, they are actually shouting to the Lord. He's not like looking at them going, well, I bet they're thinking this. It says they are actively shouting to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they've done to us? How long do we have to wait before justice is done? Okay? 
And, and we'll talk more about that later as we talk about timing or as we get to you know, things. But, but right now what I need you to know is, O oh, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they've done to us? That hasn't happened yet, right? He's saying, how long do I have to wait for that to happen? So we're not new heaven, new earth yet. We're current heaven that John is experiencing and he's seeing this, not sleeping, but awake, sentient, active, okay? So, hang on, we'll, we'll get to John Edwards in a minute. Anybody know John Edwards? Okay. Anybody religiously watch John Edwards when they were younger? Sylvia Brown? Read a bunch of Sylvia Brown books? Anybody ever um, go to see Sherry? The psychic lady on Collins Road? <laughs> Who will tell you your future? And uh, maybe you're just like, I am raising my hand about that. We invited a lot of visitors. Sherry, if you're here, we should talk. But here's the thing we have to realize. So, so here's, all of that was to say that the timing is important. What happens when we die is we don't go into soul sleep. We go into someplace called the present heaven. Later, where we will spend eternity, where we will spend the last five weeks of this series... Okay, uh, we're just, today we talk present heaven and we talk this immediate thing. For the rest of the series, we're talking new heaven, new earth, because that is where, as a Christian, you will live for eternity. That is a long time. It is a big deal for us to understand and get excited about. But we do have to understand what happens when we die today. What happens, what happens to our loved ones that have died? Okay, and, and here's what I'm going to tell you. To be absent from the body for Christians is to be present with the Lord. And for non-Christians, we hate to talk about this, but hell is the reality. Scripture teaches us plainly that there are two destinations. Both are realities. Both are real. And when we die, we face judgment. And there's heaven or there's hell. Heaven is just the fancy word again that means with God, the presence of God, with God. Hell then is separate from God. And some of you think, well, that wouldn't be so bad. This is not a series on hell, and maybe we'll have one of those later. Or if you've got questions, throw them in the box, and maybe this is something Vince and I can talk about on podcast. But listen, an eternity away from the creator of anything good is terrible. It's terrible. It doesn't get worse than that. I can't describe to you what hell will be like. I don't have the language. I don't have the language to tell you how awful hell will be. <laughs> I am convinced that if we understood how bad hell was going to be, and we understood how good heaven was going to be, that I would never have to encourage you to invite your friends or share Jesus with your friends. You would do it on your own and you would do it with gusto because... We can't possibly imagine a reality where we would have this instead of this when it's available. But hell is real, okay? And one of the reasons this gets so hard for us is because in our present culture, uh, we are hooked on dead stuff. I'm not talking zombies, although some of you are really hooked on zombies, okay? I'm talking ghosts and spirits and Ouija boards and some of those kinds of things. 
And this is one guy that I'm terribly familiar with because before Carrie and I were mature Christians, um, we used to watch some John Edwards. Crossing over with Jonathan Edwards. You want to show that clip real quick? This is the promo for his, his TV show. For the last three decades, psychic medium John Edwards psychic has been helping medium. people connect with their loved ones on the other side. John is a tireless warrior for the work and lectures and tours the world to teach people that life and love are eternal. Your dad's here, yeah. and your dad wants everybody to know that you're his hero. To see John live, click the live events tab above. He has made countless high-profile television and radio appearances like Oprah, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, Ellen, and continues to be a go-to media psychic resource. A partnership with Sirius XM Satellite Radio saw the launch of John Edwards Psychic It's just going to keep going about how awesome John this guy is. Uh, here's what I pulled off his website. By the way, he's going to be in Chicago and Des Moines this summer. Uh, you can go, and if you're lucky, after paying your hundred bucks, you could get a psychic reading and maybe get to talk to one of your dear departed loved ones. Here's what it says on his website. Is someone waiting to speak to you from the other side? Are you looking to learn more about your own energy and intuition? Maybe you're just looking for other like-minded people to share your experiences and journey with. If so, you've come to the right place. For the last three decades, John Edward has been helping people like you reconnect with their lost loved ones through his work as a psychic medium. And he travels all over the country and, and uh, all of this good stuff. But the reason I want to pause here for a second, the reason this is so important to me is because I have talked to countless Christians and when I say countless Christians, I mean I literally could not count them, okay? I only have 20 fingers and toes. I literally could not count how many times I've talked to good Bible-believing Christians who tell me about the experience they have with the ghost that's left or the spirit that's left in their house. Or, or how... Because this used to be grandma's house, when the lights flicker, we know it's grandma messing with the lights. My mom, my mom will swear to you to this day that she has experienced um, on a couple of occasions in the Northwoods of Wisconsin on, on vacations with her sister, uh, the, the spirit of a, a young, what she assumes is a mother. This is problematic for us. You go, you go to most stores, and in the child's toy um, game section, you can find a Ouija board. By the way, if you've got a Ouija board in your house, throw it away. You know what the whole goal of a Ouija board is? Is I'm going to talk to dead things. They're going to guide my hand, and I'm going to get answers, and I'm going to talk to people that are dead. We have seances so that we can either cleanse our house of evil spirits that have lingered, or we can reconnect and I can find out once and for all that my dad really did love me, or that my grandma really was proud of me. Listen to me. That's garbage. And it gives you comfort, and I get it. But as Christians that have passed away, trust me when I tell you, it should give you incredible comfort to know that your loved ones aren't here. They're not lingering. They're not sticking around because they are in glory. 
And it is not boring, and it is not static, and they are not asleep, and it is a far better place than you could possibly begin to imagine. But we deal with people like John Edwards, and what, what is it then? Is he a fraud? Is he a liar? When I go see Sherry, I don't really go see Sherry, but we drive by her all the time. Travis used to tell the joke, uh, he, he hasn't for a long time, but he used to ask when we drove by, he's like, if we went and knocked on the door, would she be surprised? I don't know, buddy, let's try it. And he's like, why is she living there? If she was really psychic, wouldn't she have a nicer house? Maybe, I don't know. Here's what I always told my kids about that. At best, they're frauds. This guy, I don't know him. At best, he's a fraud. At best, he is actively lying to you about speaking to your past loved ones. At worst, he's being duped by Satan, who is the father of lies, who speaks his native language when he lies. And you want nothing to do with him or people like him. God forbid them in the Old Testament. He forbid spiritus mediums, outlawed them. Why? Because there is no loved one, Christian loved one, or at the time practicing Jewish loved one, that you're going to be able to reconnect with through them. God isn't withholding something good from you. He's warning you about something evil. They're not here. Here's what I can say unequivocally. When we die as Christians, we go immediately to be with Jesus. We are not left anywhere on this earth. There's no part of us. There's no spirit of us. There's no lingering of us. And anything that you're experiencing is just, you know what? Listen, at our house, Lights go out all the time. You know what happens? We got bad wiring. I mean, we do. We actually, we need an electrician. If you know somebody, let us know. Um, lately, we've got all of, these, all of these smoke detectors hardwired into our basement. They're all fine, except this one just keeps beeping like it needs a new battery, except it doesn't have a battery because it's hardwired into the electricity. And it's right next to the other one that's not beeping. So I know we're not about to burn up. Like, that's not my grandma. It's faulty wiring. It's something wrong with the unit that I need to get replaced. Okay? When we die as Christians, okay, we go immediately to be with Jesus. We're not left anywhere on this earth. We're not. But it does beg the question, what do we do then? If we're not lingering around here, what do we do? I'm not going to get into this a whole lot today because this is the crux of where we're going through the next five weeks and we're really going to delve in here. I'm just going to give you a couple of things to whet your appetite, a couple of things to know, okay? And, and they're just a couple of snippets we can find here in Revelation 6, 9, and 10. And this will challenge some of your presuppositions, so understand that. So here are a couple of things that I know, okay? And, and it's not exhaustive and it's not, it's just going to launch us, okay? But... What do we do when we die? Well, here's a couple of things. One is we are very aware of what's happening on earth. The souls that were martyred are very aware of what's happening on earth. They shout to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood? They know exactly what's happening on earth. And they're actively involved. Now, they don't become guardian angels. I've heard this before, you know, God, God needed another angel. We don't become angels. When you die, you don't become an angel. 
doesn't work that way. By the way, I hate to break it to you, but also this is true. When a bell rings, an angel does not get its wings. That's also not true. You don't become an angel when you die. Your loved ones are not following you around. And I know sometimes when you think that they are, it gives you comfort. But this should give you incredible comfort. Listen to this. Your loved ones are aware of you. And here's what I can guarantee you. They're praying for you. You're like, well, Matt, how can you guarantee me that they're praying for me? Well, I know that they're aware of what's happening on the earth. Currently, they're aware of what's happening on the earth. And they are with Jesus. They are with Jesus. Okay, prayer is just communication with the God of the universe. They are actively with him. They're communicating with the God of the universe. Look at this. They're calling out to the God of the universe. You tell me they're not intervening on your behalf? They're not following you around. They're praying for you. Now, please don't get confused. Please don't get confused. Nowhere in Scripture are you supposed to be praying to your loved ones. You don't pray to dead people. You know who you pray to? You pray to God through the one mediator, right? One mediator between God and man, and it's not, it's not Mary, with, with all due respect. It, it's not my grandma who has passed away. It's not uh, my Christian coach that really brought me up in the faith and, and is now gone. It's none of those people. It's not Mervyn Hubbard. Oh, Mervyn Hubbard. Mervyn was my Sunday school teacher. Mer- Mervyn is the one, really, it was, it was Pastor Ed at the church that, that did the altar call that had me respond to it, but it was Mervyn um, who, who got me to believe in Jesus. But you know what? She's not my mediator between uh, God and myself. My prayers go to God through Jesus. That's biblical. It's scriptural. You'll read it in there. It's written in the book of Hebrews. There is one God and one mediator between man and God, and it is the person, Jesus Christ. You don't pray to people that have passed, but here's the thing. They are interceding for you. It should give you great comfort, okay? Last thing we're going to talk about. Last thing is this. Today, and again, this just launches us through the rest of the series, and this is something we have to deal with as we get into this. Is heaven our default destination? Or is hell our default destination? There are two destinations when we die, heaven and hell. And so the question is, what is our default destination? Uh, in 2003, and I'm sure it's been done since then, but the last one I read was 2003, uh, there was a, a Barna poll asking uh, random, uh, good snippet sampling size, asking people, when you die, if you believe in heaven or hell, will you be going to heaven or hell? For every one person that thought they were going to hell, there were 120 that thought they were going to heaven. 120 to one thought they were going to heaven. But Jesus says this in Matthew 7, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. You Take a poll in our country today and they'll tell you our default destination is heaven. 120 people to one 
will tell you my default destination is heaven. Jesus says otherwise. He says, no, 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 no. It's almost opposite of that. The gateway to hell is broad. The highway to hell is broad, but the gateway to heaven, that's narrow, and it's difficult to find, and few ever find it. Our default destination is not heaven. Our default destination, unfortunately, because we're fallen, broken people, is hell. Look at this. That actually should say Romans 3.23, not Matthew 7 again. But for everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's a reality. Everybody sins. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Isaiah 59.2 says, it's your sin that has cut you off from God. Why? Because of your sins, he's turned away from you, and he will not listen anymore. Your sin cuts you off because God will turn away and not listen to you anymore because of your sin. Paul tells us in Romans, everyone sins and falls short of God's glorious standard. Jesus tells us in Matthew, look, man, the highway to hell is wide and broad. Everybody goes down that way, but the gateway to heaven is narrow and it's hidden and only a few find it. Heaven is not your default destination. Hell is. But heaven is what you long for. It's what you're wired for. It's what your heart wants desperately. And it's what Jesus came to redeem you for. It does, I mean, it's just plain and simple. Heaven is actually the most misdiagnosed, I'm sorry, homesickness is the most misdiagnosed thing in the world. I mean, think about the list of things that, that are longing and are hardwired for heaven and what we're redeemed for is heaven. Think about the things that we try. Sex, drugs, alcohol, a new job, a raise, promotion, a PhD, a spouse, a cabin in the woods, a condo in Hawaii, big screen TV. You know, we, we try a lot of things to fill that gap because we're hardwired for heaven. We're hardwired for something better. Our default destination, because we're born sinful, is hell. But we're hardwired for heaven. We're redeemed for heaven. That's what the rest of the, the story is in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we're going to be talking quite a bit in this series about heaven and I'm not going to make the caveat every time we talk about it. Oh, yeah, for those of you that are Christians, this is true. So I'm going to tell you this now, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to live here. If you are here this morning and you are not a Christian, your default destination is not this glorious place that we're going to be talking about. It's not with God. It's not the grand adventure that is going to spend eternity. It, it, it's not this thing. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, your default destination is hell. But it's not what you were made for. That's why it feels off to you. If you're, if you're honest and you just admit it, that's why it feels off to you. That's why life doesn't make sense. That's why it's hard. That's why we strive for this other stuff and we gather this other stuff or we think that next thing is really going to satisfy and then there's something else after that and it just keeps going because we're made for heaven. We're hardwired for heaven and Jesus died so that we could spend eternity with God in heaven. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of eternal life is through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'm going to ask you as we continue in this series 
to really spend some time meditating and thinking on where you're at. And, and, and where, where are you? I mean, I hate to be this guy, right? I feel like I need a big pulpit I can smack my hand on when I say this. But where are you headed when you die? I can't fix that for you. I can't deal with that for you. That's between you and God. And there's one mediator between God and man, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. It's surrender to him, and it's following him, period. There's nothing else that will get it done for you. There's no other way except Jesus. Did you ask? I'm going I'm to pray with you. I'm ask the praise team to come up. We're going to prepare to close the service. Um, and uh, as we do, um, this is a good chance for us to uh, collect our offering this morning. Um, so remember, if you're visiting with us, uh, you're under no obligation to participate in the offering, but this would be a great time for you to throw that slip into the offering plate uh, as your way to participate, and uh, that'll be good. Would you pray with me? <coughs> Heavenly Father, God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you that we get to be on this grand adventure because of the salvation that's been offered through Jesus Christ. Father, we just, we just ask you uh, to bless us. We ask you to speak truth to our hearts. We ask you to help us as we navigate this life and as we start thinking about what our eternity, forever, home, and existence will be like, what our bodies will be like, what our jobs will be like, what our adventures will be. God, as we start to think and talk about that, we just ask you uh, to just cement and firm up in our hearts that all of that is possible through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, who dies for us on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin and who burst forth from the grave bringing new life. And Father, for anybody here this morning that isn't following Jesus, anybody here that's struggling with that, they're not sure what their default destination is, God, I pray that you'll just speak to their hearts and, and, and that you'll communicate to them right now that you know what? They can be sure. They can be sure when they surrender to and trust Jesus. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we just thank you for all things. Amen.